0: Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Your co-hosts, Jamie Albright and Sarah Rosette, couldn't be more different. In fact, they're a study in contrasts. However, despite all of their differences, they agree that sharing what they wish they'd known, both the good and the bad, is the key to moving forward. Let's get to the show.
1: Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette, and I'm Jamie Albright. And today we have an interview with
2: Patricia McLynn. Yes, it's awesome. It's yes. awesome. She talks about a lot of stuff. One of the things I love that she talked about was how she uses bookbub ads and um, she uses kind of low spin bookbub ads, and that was so interesting to me.
1: Yeah, talked a lot about targeting. Very Mm -hmm. interesting information on that. And uh, she's been traditionally published in indie, and so we talked about kind of pros and cons of that. Mm -hmm. And um, we also uh, covered a lot of she's a pantser, and -hmm. we talked about if you write. She has a book called, If You Don't Write, Write. That's not the complete title, but it's like, if you don't write like everybody else says you yes. should, how to be okay with that and learn to yeah. work with that. So yeah, that's really awesome. so yeah it was really good. That.
2: So what's uh, been going on with you?
1: Well, I finished my draft of the Christmas book. I'm so Yay. happy. Because, yes. I, know. I mean, it's a relief to get a draft done. And there's only like one good time of year to bring out a Christmas book. And so I was afraid I, you know, I can mentally feel the clock ticking you know, because it takes about three months to do the copy edits and the proofread and the audio. So if I didn't get it done pretty soon, yeah. I ran out of time. So, yeah. But it's all going to be okay now.
2: Yeah. That's great. (laughs) Um, I'm just so impressed you get that all lined up. Uh, We'll see. Hopefully it'll all
1: finish coming together. But yeah. What about you? What have you been doing?
2: Uh, well, nothing this week except launch stuff. Still, you know, just trying to post, trying to still be on top of things. And um, but today, I'm starting my new book, so we'll see how that goes. You know, the first draft is always the hardest, and it is uh, for me. I yeah. totally, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but it's been this launch has been interesting. It's been fun to. Um, see people's response. Um, and then also um, it's taken a little over 10 days for me to start to see page reads mm-hmm. start to come in from my other books. So just an FYI to everybody, don't freak out if you don't see page reads in the first you know, few days like I did. Uh, but it, <laughs> yeah, so now I'm seeing the page reads come in. So it's really fun. It's great. Good. Yeah. It's been a great launch. I'm very happy with it. So yeah. Yeah. It's
1: hard sometimes because there's delays and you don't
2: really know what's going on. No. And, and so you never really, if you're in KU, you don't really know because of page read stuff. But yeah, mm-hmm. right yeah. now it seems pretty cool. So I'm yeah. excited. I'm excited. That's good. That's great yeah. news. That's I know. So we should probably get on with the interview because it's yes. awesome. Yep. Sounds good. Today we have Patricia
1: McLean with us. Hello, Patricia. How are you? I'm fine. How are you doing, Sarah? We're doing good. And Jamie.
2: Yeah, hi. How are Uh, you? Glad to have you.
1: Thank you. So I'm going to read a short little bio in case people aren't familiar with you, and then we'll get into the questions and talk about um, book babads and kind of what you wish you'd known about writing and publishing. Oh, so many things. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all have that? Yes. (laughs) All right. Patricia McGlynn is the author of more than 40 novels in the genres of romance, women's fiction, and mystery fiction. So... That's a super short bio. Do you want to well, add anything it's to actually, that?
0: Well, it's more than 50 now, oh my goodness. Oh, 50. Which, which tells me, it tells me I need to go around and update my work. <laughs> my bio. So tell us what genres you do write in though, and
2: how did you get started in writing?
0: Well, I, I write uh, romance. I started mm-hmm. with publishing in romance, mystery, um, women's fiction and nonfiction and, Within the romance, um, I do have done mostly contemporary, some historical. A lot of my series tend to be small town or western, but then I have a series <laughs> that's <laughs> Chicago and DC and a and a fictional European country. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the mysteries, I have three series. One I think of as traditional, a traditional series that it, it's. Um, it's not as cozy as a lot of the cozies are now, but it has a real, it has a core mystery. It's not hard boiled, um, and then I have a cozier series, and then I have a a series to be, which means I have one book out so far. <laughs> That's a little edgier. Um, in case you can't tell from that, focus might not be one of my strong points. <laughs> Uh, I like the diversity and how I got started. Wow. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know how anybody could get started write, writing without being a reader first.
1: Right. And
0: I, I started reading very early. I have older siblings and they used to spell to keep secrets from me. <laughs> so <laughs> I learned to read and I learned, you know, I learned words as, um, Self-defense, <laughs>
2: <laughs> a good then, incentive.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely was. And then um, that introduced me to the you know the world of stories, and I thought they just—I I don't know—I think I think I thought they just happened. I, I, yes. Because then I found out. Um, so this must have been several years after I started reading. Do you remember the the book Misty of Chincoteague? Uh huh. Did you yeah. read yeah. that, Jamie? I didn't read it, but uh, I loved
2: the book, yeah.
0: Well, the author, Marguerite Henry, lived in the town next to mine, and I found that out, and it was like this revelation that real people wrote books, and, and that first connection yeah. that somebody who lived in the town next to me wrote a book that I wrote and loved, mm-hmm. and that this was possible. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, I wanted to write I wanted to write
2: oh, books.
0: Oh, that's amazing! Yeah. That
2: is great. It's a great answer.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, what was your first big success?
0: Um, finishing a book. <laughs> <laughs> that's a huge success. Yes. I, it, 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 true. Well,
2: yeah. How many people really say that? And it's true. It's true. It
0: is true. Yeah. You know, starting one is a huge step, and then learning that you can complete one. And I had started a number of them, and I I started at the beginning, and I would write a chapter or a chapter and a half. And I thought I was doing Regency romances. And I'd give them to my sister-in-law, who, as I said, my siblings are older. She babysat for me when um, I was, I don't know. Kindergarten, something like that. Mm-hmm. So she would read these, and she said, "Well, what happens next?" I, said, I don't know. <laughs> and, and she got to the point where she said, "I'm not reading anything else that you write unless it's finished, because you get me interested in these characters, and then you leave them hanging. Because I didn't know how to finish. Yeah. I didn't know how to get past chapter and a half. Yeah. So it um, it took me a while." to to get to that point. And then I, I find I finished a book and um, that led me into I, I went to the library to find out more about writing and the librarian said there's somebody who's gonna talk about writing romance. And that was Kathleen Gillis Seidel. So I went I went to her talk And that introduced me to the idea of romance because I had sent my first manuscript out. I did everything wrong. I sent my favorite parts. (laughs) I did not send a synopsis. I have always hated synopses. Um, And I got, you know, mostly I got ignored, but I had, I had one letter back and to my great regret, I lost it in a move. But um, this person wrote back, it started with, it's clear you know nothing about publishing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which, which was so true. And then she said you did this, this, this and this wrong. Um, you and you what'd she say? I overplotted for my characters. Um, and then and she finished it the saying, but you can write. So figure this stuff out.
2: Well, that's well that's encouraging.
0: Yeah. yeah and yeah and it was like from I don't know Philip Morrow publishing or something. Oh. I mean it was a publisher that was totally inappropriate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know it wouldn't happen these days. I, yeah. I just yeah. wouldn't. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So
2: what was yeah. your first big book success that like which book would you say is the one that kind of got you going?
0: Well I <laughs> I hesitate to say this because there's a big caveat after, but I will say my, my first book, which was actually my second complete manuscript mm-hmm. was bought. Um, and it was a a finalist and won a bunch of regional awards. Mm-hmm. I then later had more than my share of rejections in the traditional <laughs> publishing world. So, but yeah, that first one was, was That's quite great. successful.
2: That's awesome. That's great.
0: Yeah. And then,
2: what do you wish you'd known about writing and crafts before you started?
0: I wish I had known to trust myself and my process more, mm-hmm. and not listen to other people as much. Um, and and that's very difficult because I think when you're starting to write, you want you want the three absolute steps and isn't it somerset mon who said that there were three rules to writing and the trouble was nobody knew what they were yes <laughs> yes <laughs> and i think that's absolutely true um it, and to how you get the words out and how you how it comes from you onto the page it's part of the magic, and yet there's so much pressure. I'm I am a um, pantser mm-hmm. and a, or organic writer, as some <laughs> some people prefer to call it. Yeah. Um, and I write out of order. I don't write chronologically. Um, I'm pretty much a writing instructor's nightmare,
1: yeah.
0: and <laughs> I, now I'm okay with that. Now I'm you know. That's the way it is. In fact, I have a nonfiction book called Survival Kit for Writers Who Don't Write Right. <laughs> <laughs> because there is so much pressure on us to, oh, you'd be faster if you, if you um, outlined. And, uh, and I have a problem with that because a lot of times when they talk about that, how long it takes to write with outlining, they are not including the time to outline so they see the outlining separate and then the writing where those of us who write organically <laughs> or by the seat of our pants are doing both at the same time. And so it looks like our writing is longer. We're just doing two steps in one. So actually that's more efficient. <laughs> 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 I hadn't thought of it that way before. <laughs>
2: exactly.
0: Um, so I, yeah, I, I really wish I had, I had learned early. I, uh, tell you a story i had gone to a um i was in the dc area in the washington romance writers great group and gone to one of the retreats and there had been a presentation by somebody with um color i remember the color coded note cards up on the (laughs) wall and this you know this emotion was this color and this character was that color and uh, and that way you could visually see what the you know what was happening and what you were missing where and I was driving back home with a friend. I was driving and I was saying, I can't do that. I you know, if this is what you've got to do, I, I just I can't do that. I, I gotta I quit. And this friend said, in mortal words, Pat, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, You are doing it. At that point I had three published books. Yeah. And yet that push to do it a certain way was so strong and the person who gave the the presentation it worked great for her and she was Mm -hmm. absolutely being generous and sharing what worked for her Mm -hmm. but the the um other part of it that that's how you've got to do it was very strong and and, uh, is always strong because I think we're always looking for the answer. Mm -hmm. And alas, the answer has to come from inside us and hard work. Yes.
1: And we're trying to replicate. Like if we do something, we want to be able to replicate it and do it again, maybe a little quicker, especially in this day and age when we're trying to write faster. But we just had an interview with Wendy Vella and she said the same thing that, she's learned not to, to do it her own way and to not, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like you kind of have to figure out, okay, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to be okay. I don't have to do it the way all these, the way we're supposed to do it, you know, in air
0: quotes. Yeah. And that, that question of replicating it and doing it faster. Um, (laughs) <laughs> I was on a panel once where they asked, somebody from the audience asked, well, from your first book to your second book, what did you learn that made the second book easier? And other people were answered, It came down to me. I think I was the last one. And I <laughs> looked at the person and said, nothing, <laughs> nothing. It was harder. It was a different experience. It was a different book. And, you know, some books, and by that time I had several out, I said some books have been easier, but... Um, some of them are just stinkers and you just have to fight your way through and, and get it out. But it, I don't think it gets easier. I think it, it just gets different from book to book,
2: which I, is I,
0: a- go ahead, ahead Jim.
2: Well, no, I was just going to say, I say that, well, I'm so, you know, like I write comedy and I do wish that I had not used all my good jokes.
0: <laughs> because <Save> Some <laughs> of them.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. I wish I have spread them out. But, but it's because I think it gets harder because a lot of our ideas in the beginning are things we've mulled over for a long time. So in some ways they're low hanging fruit. I mean, we're, we've, we've, we've thought about them. We've, you know, they're ideas we've had for a long time, but as you go on, you're having to climb higher in that tree to get better, better ideas and more refined ideas. And because you know more, it's, you
0: expect more yes. of
2: yourself. and so it that's for me what makes it harder i think
0: the the plus side of that is it's actually it's i think we're i we are the best recyclers ever mm-hmm. everything that happens that we see that we hear that we read about goes into the hopper yes. and it and it just sort of churns there so what that means is we need to spend a lot more time in bars so, <laughs> so can-
2: finally
0: <laughs> if only we weren't social distancing yeah well there is that so <laughs> but, but to watch people and yeah. and to pick up more of that and more jokes more um interactions between people all those all those elements yeah um I agree.
1: very true so what about marketing what do you wish you had known about marketing
0: You know, for me, first of all, my career is sort of, I see it in two parts, the traditional part. I I think it was 27 books in 25 years in traditional. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I went, started doing indie in 2010, very end of 2010 and totally indie in 2015. So the big thing I would say I learned, there's going to be two things, but the first is that nobody knows anything. (laughs) <laughs> Truly, nobody knows anything for sure, and it, and the revelation to me was after all those years in traditional with the agents and editors saying this is the way it is, this is you have to do this, you ha- you can't succeed doing that, you have to you have to follow these these rules these steps, and then when I got into indie and I saw books doing really well and I couldn't figure out why and doing not so well and I couldn't figure out why (laughs) and I thought they were wrong (laughs) they knew nothing they were they were just really adamant in what they said (laughs) (laughs) and that persuade persuaded the rest of us that they were right Mm -hmm. when in fact And it wasn't their fault. I'm not saying that because it was passed on kind of from generation to generation, but nobody knew anything. Mm -hmm. And, and in a way that's so cool, because what it means is you can't follow three steps and have a bestseller. You write a story and you put it out there and then it's the interaction of your story and the readers and what finds readers and what connects with readers and maybe what doesn't. Yeah. Um, so, so my number one thing about marketing is nobody knows anything. So that, that takes a lot of pressure off, you know? <laughs> and you can sort of experiment and try different things and it works now, it may not work later, mm-hmm. and you know, be on your way. Um, the other thing that I learned is that I am not my audience. Mm-hmm. And I hear so many writers saying, Well, I don't do this, so I won't I won't yep. offer that to my readers. Huh. And you know, if if I didn't do anything because I personally didn't like, I wouldn't do much at all because we're much more hermits than yeah. our readers are. And um I, I have to I have to constantly remind myself that I am not the breeders. Um, they're much nicer than I am. Bless their hearts. (laughs) I'm a really tough consumer. Um, so I I, I think that, you know, those are kind of big general things, Mm -hmm. not probably real helpful to anybody specifically, but I hope people keep those in mind as they think about the specifics.
2: Yeah. I think that's important. I think the whole, um, because you don't do it, you assume other people don't do it. It's working off that it's those assumptions, and I do mm. think we have to be careful about that. Uh, my daughter, who's in the next room, uh, is twenty three, and so she's living with us right now. And she says things sometimes. Well, it, it's just this big assumption, so that's why she's not going to pursue it. Or, but that's and. I used to do the same thing. I don't do it as much anymore because I'm more mature. But that—that that is kind of an immature way of thinking to mm. assume those things. And I think as we get more mature in our writing and with marketing and with our audience, knowing our audience, we can see, oh yeah, that's not, yes. not really what happens. But yeah, to just assume something without trying it, or at least investigating it, is is very limiting.
0: Well and and that is so true Jamie and I find it in um in marketing in the targets that I choose I am always wrong <laughs> I mean I am always wrong I think oh our books are really similar and you know so people who love this author will love my books mm-hmm. I am wrong and then <laughs> then I uh, some author that comes out of bluff field And that one really Mm clicked my late, my latest theory is they don't want to read if if somebody likes a book. And I think that's similar to mine. They may not necessarily want to write, read my book because they already have that author. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's people who read different things, but are have a gap mm -hmm. that I can come in and fill.
1: Or (laughs) maybe they've like, Oh, I've read something that's more similar in tone. So now I want something new yeah. and they're they're looking for something different and I'm like you, I think, oh, this person is a perfect match for me as far as a reader, you know? And then a lot of times those don't do well at all and I'm just thinking, what is wrong here? So it makes me feel better to hear you
0: say that. Oh, it it is a hundred percent. The people who do the best for me like on BookBub ads, not the feature deals, but the ads, uh, it's always like, who? (laughs) Exactly. Why? Why? What? Yeah. <laughs> and and then it's like, oh, I love you because I'm getting this great, you yeah. know, exposure. And maybe that's that's part of it too. You know, that I'm saying who because I haven't explored that audience. Mm-hmm. So this author is uh, who turns out to be good is a an entry point for me to a new readership. Thank you very much. I love that. You know, And we can do that for each other. Exactly. That's wonderful.
2: I know. So what assumptions did you make at the beginning of your career? And looking back, you, uh, did they turn out to be right or wrong?
0: Hmm. Well, I think one assumption I made is that I would keep writing no matter what. And that, that's been pretty close to, to true. Because um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I, I, my first book was out in 1990.
2: Wow. I've been
0: around a long time. If you tell me you weren't born then, you're both dead. Oh, no. (laughs) No no danger of that.
2: I was having babies, yeah.
0: (laughs) So um, I think another assumption, uh, which was a pretty reasonable assumption when I started, was that things were going to stay the way they were. Mm. Um, and I am so thrilled to be wrong about that one that it's opened up so much. Um, there's so many opportunities, there's so much diversity available and i I just I, I really like this publishing world a lot better than the one I entered, yeah, the business yeah. in yeah Me too. yeah, that's
1: a great idea. So have you ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing? Um yes.
0: I want to hear about those. I stayed with Harlequin longer than I probably should have. And I kicked myself for it quite a bit. Um, And I will tell you, uh, you, I might have said this before in my life, but kicking yourself is not a good exercise program. (laughs) (laughs) It might be the one I'm best at, but it is not a good exercise program. Um, And then what it turned out is that I got the rights back by that I asked for rights back with nothing to do with them. Not, there was nowhere to go with them. It was strictly because I wanted them in my hot little hands rather than their hot little hands. Mm-hmm. And those books that I wrote during the period that I subsequently kicked myself for mm-hmm. were the ones that got me started in indie. Ah, oh, that's so wonderful. So if I hadn't stuck with um, Harlequin, if I hadn't written those books at that time, I wouldn't have had that core, that foundation for my indie career. So That's great. wrong again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I know a couple of authors who've started listening to the podcast that they're traditional right now. So tell us a little bit about, it, you know, like if someone's interested in like trying to get their rights back, would you recommend just going for it and getting back as much as you can? Absolutely.
0: absolutely. It's getting tougher and tougher. The contracts are um, more uh, grabby (laughs) than they ever were. And they were pretty darn grabby. Um, And so one of the things I would, I would say to people who are entering into contracts now to view it as giving up those rights to that book forever. Um, yeah, and it, it, possibly you can get it back thirty-five years mm-hmm. after it's been published or was sold um, through a long, a yeah, fairly complex process. For people who were published previously, look at your contracts, uh, and I recommend asking whether your contract says it's it's due for reversion or not. Mm-hmm. Ask. It, all they can do is say no. Keep asking. Ask for different reasons. Um, that's a, a large part of how I got a lot of my books back from Harlequin, although <laughs> I also have to say it might help that I was instrumental or, or in, deeply involved, in this, is a better term. See, I edit my conversation. Deeply involved <laughs> in the uh, class action lawsuit against Harlequin. So maybe they just wanted to get
2: Really? <laughs> Back away well, from me.
0: <laughs> if you Give accomplished water,
2: your goal <laughs> yeah, it's been a pleasure doing business with you pat but we're done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you thank you very much it was all worthwhile in that case yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So they do actually they have foreign rights to one book like one book in germany turkey and spain i think so.
2: i'm gonna tell you right now when you said 35 years like my gut just clinch, speak in but I think it's different like the entrepreneur in me is yeah. like oh heck no but yes for someone who that's their goal there's nothing wrong with that if that's your goal but when it's not your goal that just seems crazy
0: but yeah. why why Jamie do you think it's the goal for some people to be traditionally published? I
2: think it's the validation. I think they just, well, a couple of things. I think one, they, they've they seen what, how much work indie publishing is, and it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And I don't know that they want to do that. And then second of all, I think people just, they need that validation. And and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I wanted that when I started. It's just, I was introduced to indie publishing and realized once I got a check, I didn't
0: really <laughs> need anybody else's validation. Yeah. well, but and I find that really interesting, though, Jamie, because I associate traditional publishing not with validation. Right, I get because much I have more validation. Have. Yeah, much more validation in indie because mm-hmm. the readers are the validation. Right. and and from the external validation in the traditional world of editors loving your work or you know getting the the. Prizes and things like that. Maybe the the top 1% of traditionally published authors get that. And the other, we'll we'll be really generous and say the top 5%. Mm -hmm. And the other 95% are getting whacked it uh, all the time. At, at the knees oh you didn't sell enough oh this book didn't do as well as that other one. Oh, you know and, and it doesn't matter whether it was a horrible cover over which you had no control um Anything. it doesn't yeah been there done that or, or horrible scheduling over which you had no right. control not only did you have no control you tried your darndest to to get it yeah. to work out or as happened to somebody i knew they a, a um railroad car load of books got caught in the Rocky mountains in a snowstorm, and they still got dinged because that book didn't sell well. Well, <laughs> you know, it wasn't on the show. not in charge of the weather. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't do anything about it. Um, yeah. And, I,
2: I, I get what you're saying. I just think, I think there are a lot of people that because they don't know, like they only think this is the way to go. Um, that, that they think, oh, well, this is what I should do. And then when when I win a contest, because I won a lot of contests and there's nothing like that. Like there is nothing like winning that contest and having these wonderful comments on a page and you read it. And that is so validating. But you know what? That doesn't make me any money. No. And, and then signing with it, what I realized was signing with a traditional publisher would not put any money in my pocket either because – I was not going to be their top 5%. I was just a romance right. author that wrote funny books. I mean, yeah, um, And
0: one one of the reasons I think it's so important, you know, we talk about making money. I, I think a lot of people, especially the, those not writing, don't recognize that if we're not making money, we can't keep writing.
2: Right, exactly. We have to
0: earn a living. Um, and if you're not learning a, earning a living at it, it then becomes a hobby which does not get the time and attention that writing needs to to continue and to produce books. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think I
1: was going to say too that I think a lot of people have myths that they believe about traditional publishing that may have been true years ago, but they're not now, or they were never true. And I found that a lot of times if I tell people that, even if you're traditionally published, your book is not going to be on the Barnes Noble bookshelf all the yeah. time. It will only be there during the month your book is released. Usually, you know, unless you're like a super special person, it goes away after that because there's a new set of books coming and people are just shocked.
0: They just almost
1: can't believe it.
0: In the early 2000s, um, there was a statistic from, you know, one of the official, maybe it was the ABA, um, Or APA that said the average book is on the shelves in a physical bookstore for 16 days. Wow. Average. Average books. So, you know, there are a lot of those that are, are, you know, classics and and the big names who are sitting there longer. So, there's somebody on the other end who's there a lot shorter time to have that be an average. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
2: And I, you know, I always hate to sound like I'm bashing traditional publishing because I've never done it. So, like, I really. Have no idea, but for me personally, it was not an avenue I wanted to pursue. Once I learned some of the things we're talking about here, I just and I like doing some of the other things. If, if all you want to do is write, then I guess it's an okay. Avenue.
0: It, it's actually yeah. that's, but you, but you still have to do all the marketing. The I know it yeah. is right now, I and you have to do a lot of the editing because the the editors are not really given afforded the time to edit they're doing other things too they're doing business things um i i did spend a long time in traditional publishing and i had i had as i said well let's see that's for i think i 24 books with harlequin um and i had 32 editors Wow, and that was not because I wasn't turning books in on time. In fact, I screwed up their schedule a couple of times by being on time. Uh, they, they couldn't cope with that. yeah. Um, the you know the editors often were not treated great either. Yeah. Um, it it's uh it's a really it's a tough business. Somebody is paying for all the overhead you know, of the business of the structure of the office of all that, all that stuff going on. Um, I think that the other thing about the difference between traditional and indie that I feel really strongly about is because of that overhead, traditional has to, as a business model, um, look for books that have a wide appeal. So kind of a, I don't want to say lowest common denominator, widest common denominator. Right. They have to, to look for really wide appeal. In indie, you can make a decent living appealing to satisfying a narrower readership. And I find that very appealing. After all those years in traditional of being told I was pushing the envelope, and go, what envelope? (laughs) Where? I don't see the edges. What are you talking about? And it just never computed for me. Um, And, you know, I don't get that from my readers. (laughs) I don't think I've ever had a reader write and say, you're pushing the envelope. And and the other thing is that, you know, I was told, like in, in traditional, I never sold poorly enough that they cut me.
1: Mm.
0: and traditional publishing has cut some people who have succeeded fantastically in indie yes they've been really wrong really really wrong (laughs) um but i also never sold well enough in in traditional that they left me alone Uh, so it was not a good it was not a good fit for me at all
2: Uh, i remember um Right before I put out my first book, I was at a conference, our, a conference our RWA put on and I was on the board and we had these edit- two editors and an agent set up and they were, do- we were doing the speed dating thing. Mm-hmm. The girl that was coordinating it, there was a hole in the schedule and she's like, I know you're going to indie publish, but would you just step in and pitch just so we don't leave them sitting there? And I was like, Sure. So I I did. Well, it turned out they didn't like that idea. So they had all gathered in one room and the five of us or four of us pitched to these three uh, people, these two editors and agent. So everybody else went, and then I went, and I start talking about my book, and they are laughing, and they, the editors are fighting over it, and I'm thinking, well, maybe, you know, maybe I'm wrong, maybe, you know, because I like, I like the validation, and I mean, it goes on because I'm not stupid. I told about the second book too because they kept laughing and I kept telling, and when I finished, they were both like slap in the table I want this book and then one of them said wait did you say it's a rock star and I said yeah oh. she's like mm, rock stars don't sell you'd do yeah. have to change that and I was like what like, and I, the, yeah, the name yeah. of the book was running from a rock star and I said um well and she's like yeah women want like normal men and I said running from a mechanic is a <laughs> training <laughs> order so like you're I'm not doing this. I bet you could pull it off, Jamie. (laughs) (laughs) And then they, and the second one, he's a lawyer. Yeah. Lawyers don't sell either. Both of them said that. Mm -hmm. And the agent caught me coming out of the bathroom later and said, Oh, you need to sign. They're still talking about your book. They want your book. And I was like, they don't want my book. They want a book. Right. By somebody that can tell a funny story, but they don't want my book because I'm not changing it. And you know, that book, both of those books have earned me so much money. I mean, it's just insane. And so I'm like, yeah, rock stars and lawyers, both they sell. They
0: yes. Sell yes. So
1: that's I, go
2: ahead. Go ahead, Sarah.
1: Oh, I was going to say that's kind of a theme that traditional publishing doesn't always know what's right. Yeah. And as an indie, we can really focus on yeah. those little niches that it wouldn't make sense for a big traditional publisher maybe to market to some of these narrower genres but we can yeah. and we mm-hmm. can have a very nice living doing it
2: yeah because we're we can be more nimble and flexible because right
0: and also um we we feel the heart of our story why mm-hmm. you understood why that lead character was a rock star yeah. and okay. you understood that it was it was necessary to the core of the story mm-hmm. and then you can convey that to readers mm-hmm. i I, my first mystery sign-off, um, just the first book in the Caught Dead in Wyoming series, I wrote that and marketed it or sent it out to traditional publishers and had a lot of interest. One editor, a very um, well-respected editor, said, she, said she, re- she wanted to buy it, and she was really interested, and it got um, the kibosh from the marketing because and this came back from marketing to the editor to my agent to me so you know I'm quoting what fourth hand there but marketing said they didn't know how to market it because it was just a well-written mystery (laughs) you had no hook but I was passionate about it and and it's done fabulous for me and I I you know, I love those characters, and, and thank heavens the readers love them too. Um, well, Because they're normal. <laughs> I mean, they have, isu- they have issues, which is part of what makes them normal, but they're normal.
1: Let's switch gears and talk about marketing to some of these um, more narrow subgenres. And um, we especially wanted to ask you about BookBub ads, because you have a post that we'll link to in the show notes about Having like low budget bookbub ads so tell us about the can you tell us kind of give us a quick overview of um, how you how you your philosophy kind of how you do them
0: to keep your income steady well and, and that's part of the philosophy the my, my idea is that especially when you have a catalog of books if you can take the, the lowest earning books and nudge them up some or if you have, can nudge them all up that's even better and it doesn't have to be, a whole lot of dollars per day mm-hmm. spread across the catalog of books. So that is is part of what I do and a lot of a lot of what I the way I do it is by feeding juice to the different series cuz I have I think it's six romance series and the the Two series and the series to be, <laughs> and mystery. So I've got a lot of series to work with, and um, I will usually do free for the first book because I like that idea of trying to find the reader author match. Mm-hmm. At, at you know, and, and I'm not really good at selling. I'm not good at selling my books, so I'm just trying to go for the match, um, and then have them like the books to keep going through the series. And th- my goal is to keep it, it keep some juice to the series, um not consistently, but kind of coming back, cycling, maybe a better way of saying it, coming back. So the so none of none of those series drops too low. Um, although as I say that I'm thinking, ooh, that that series and that <laughs> other series, I better give them a little more juice. And um And I don't do it on a schedule. It's all, you know, just what hits me. (laughs) And and this one's feeling a little low and that one needs a little more love. Um, And I do it as low cost as I can because uh, I think a lot of folks advertising try to focus on those big names, on the few big names that they know. And as we talked about earlier, it's the people I've never heard of who do great for me. And they have a readership. That we can access, plus personal theory here. Um, I think a lot of times, a proportion of or a portion of the readership of big names are not people who are looking for new reads and new authors. They are going back to their to their old um, reliables, and they're going. They they are. Um, Going to read deep into that reader or that writer's catalog, but they won't read as widely. And those of us who are not super big names at this point in our careers um, are looking for readers who want to read widely. So if you if you look at authors who are not as well known, they're more likely to have readers who read widely. They're people who are willing to take a chance on somebody who's yeah. lesser known. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for those people who I go, who? <laughs> what? <laughs> and then I also end up looking at their books and buying their books. And, <laughs> you know, it, it's a great way to find find new reads. Mm-hmm. Did that answer the question I went yes. off on my...
2: No, yes, it did. It did. Um, and I've, had, I've just recently had some success with an author that I would never in a million years guessed... Um, would have done well for me. And I've been getting, you know, click-through rates that are unbelievable. I mean, okay. unbelievable. But it's it's kind of... But I've spent more than just that low level. And so this is very interesting. I'm going to look at that. Because after a while, you know, after a week or so, that audience kind of peters out. And so I have to... I'm, I haven't figured out
0: how to... And that, that, that also is part... <laughs> I'm not sure this is marketing theory, Jamie. I think this, uh, this is knowing how I operate. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to create, keep creating new ads. Right, right. So I'm looking at making those people last a long time. Yeah. Me. <laughs> <laughs> that. I, I mean, that totally makes sense. Yeah. And the, the other factor is, is if you're not wiping out their audience, if you're, you know, if you're just sort of, you know, popping along and, Use getting some impressions every day and going along, their audience is going to build,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so you may it may be perpetual, mm-hmm. you may never have to create another ad. <laughs> This is my goal, my goal in life, I hate to, because I'm a, I fuss with them, they take so much more time than they should, it's, um, you know, I did all these confessions in that blog, I I couldn't believe they wanted me to do that blog, I kept saying, really, this is not a system, there are not three steps, it's, it's, you know, it's a bizarre approach, Um, and they said, yeah, yeah, just write what you do, all right.
2: (laughs) Book ads are such an interesting animal because free does great. I don't know if KU does well. I'm in KU, and I, anytime I've sort of you know advertised to that audience, haven't done great. But I will tell you, with these ads that I was running, it was to a full price book, and my sales were um were through the roof. My Fabulous. Went up some, but not to the rate that the sales did so they were buying a full a full price book, four ninety nine book on a bookbub ad
0: that's terrific that,
2: that lasted for a couple of weeks I mean you know I would change things up a little bit but for a couple of weeks I was able to do that so it's they're just such interesting animals I don't think we've gotten to the bottom of how they oh, really we haven't mined all their secrets absolutely
0: yet. not I I think one of the one of the um Issues one of the one of the hurdles I see with them is that the romance um, audience is so bulky. Mm-hmm. Um, the contemporary romance, mm-hmm. and I have much, I have more success with the mysteries because I think it is um, maybe more targeted in a way. Yeah, I can I can do it. it it's not like there's not a a, a just mystery. There, I can do cozy and crime fiction, mm-hmm. and and I can mix up some of the authors with some of those categories, and, and I can that can help guide to the, the readers right. who would be most likely be interested in right. my books. Whereas with romance, it seems um, harder to do. You know, there aren't those the the areas to mix. I, I hope that they will add some more. Um, categories and okay. I'd love to see um, small town mm-hmm. I, I would actually mm-hmm. love to see sweet or I hate I hate clean and wholesome because mm-hmm. my books are not unwholesome darn it <laughs> um, and but because then you could you could eliminate people mm-hmm. by using right. some of those if they only want to read those um, yeah. So it's a it it needs a little more. We should, should provide say...
1: feedback to BookBub. We should provide people like if several people say yes. hey because they're very responsive. So they are very maybe we should and very feedback. interested. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think it's just it's partly the success of romance on yeah. BookBub that it's gotten so big. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, let's switch gears a little bit again and talk about your podcast. You have a podcast for readers called Authors Love Readers. And um, how'd you come up with the idea? And tell us about it. Tell us, you know, just your tips for podcasting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> tips for podcasting. Um, don't talk twice as long as the show's going to be. <laughs> that's why we we have a lot of... Um, compilations because (laughs) we never use up everything in in one one show um the reason i started it was i was actually at a local event in uh, northern kentucky and was a a reader was um very excited about meeting the authors and talking she'd read my work and we were talking and she said it was so wonderful to be able to see and and listen to the to the authors and you know ask a few questions and um she wished she could could hear more and do more and i thought you know i know a lot of authors (laughs) (laughs) and i like asking questions so uh, my thought was to be the designated question asker Mm -hmm. um, on behalf of the what readers would be interested in and i solicited questions from from readers. So there are a number of the questions in there are, are directly from readers. Um, and I always ask those mine. I don't always ask all of my questions cause I have too many questions, but, um, oh yeah, we talk about kind how we come to the stories, how we came to writing, what, um, what inspires us, what throws us for a loop. Um, mm. And yeah. uh, so, it, and the, the other idea was, just, you know, the, the conversations at conferences among writers, it, it was sort of the idea of opening the door a little bit and let the readers just hear what, what we talk about. Right. Um, I love that. Maybe, maybe a little more restrained than we are <laughs> at the end of a conference, especially <laughs>
2: um,
0: <laughs> beh- behaving a little better, but uh, Yeah. That's great. What so we're talking about.
2: Is it a is it a um monthly
0: or uh, are you it started whenever- as it started as a weekly, so there are about a, a hundred um episodes out there. Oh wow, and then great. somebody somebody got tired. <laughs> <laughs> so, I totally understand that. Podcasting yeah. is very labor intensive. It is. And I have an editor and it's still labor intensive and it's um it takes a lot of energy, mm-hmm. and to some extent, it takes some of the same energy that writing does. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, I I, I know that people listening may not totally understand that, but a lot of us are introverts, and that talking and being out there is, is more energy draining than hiding away in our little broom. It's like, you know, during the pandemic and people are talking about, Oh, this is so awful. And I'm like, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's so, changed.
2: Huh? Yeah, my, <laughs> <I hear> The <laughs> words you're saying, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> because I, yeah, I'm the other, I'm the opposite. I'm that's not funny. the introvert. It actually, when we get off these calls, I'm like full of energy and I'm ready to go. And, now and
0: Sarah, have to take a are, nap. Are you, uh, me too, Sarah. Yes, yeah, and I, I know a lot of people think I'm I'm more outgoing. Um, I, I guess I'm a high functioning <laughs> introvert. Yeah. In yeah. Sure. that's true.
2: I think a lot of us are. I mean, a lot yeah. of people. My husband is. Yeah. But, yeah. No. I'm. like? Do you
0: find that 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 not being an introvert, Jamie? Do you find that you approach? Things differently like in in your writing or in marketing from yeah. the way your introvert friends do
2: yeah I have to talk about everything like if I don't say it out loud it's really not true so in like coming up with story ideas or um, uh, plotting stories and stuff I have to actually speak it speak it to someone else um, my uh-huh. marketing ideas a little bit the same way yeah it, it's very much I, it has to come out of my mouth or I don't, it's not real to me.
0: That's fascinating. Cause I find if I talk a story too much, I've told it. Yeah. yeah I'm done with it. You're Let's move on it. to something else. Yeah. No,
2: I have to as Sarah. I talk about it. I, <laughs> in this book I'm <laughs> writing it took me. I mean, it's been a year since my last release. I don't release fast. And uh, yeah, she's had to listen to me for a year. <laughs> It's so, so
0: fun to listen to. It's fun yeah, yeah. Where Jamie, in this continuum also, do you fall, Sarah? Oh, I'm
1: much more, I have to think about it. I have to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. And I do hash things out with Jamie and our other friend Danielle. We meet for lunch. We'll hash out plot ideas and stuff, but uh-huh. I can't talk through everything. But it's
2: only once she's gotten the idea. So for me yeah. to even formulate the idea, I really have to talk it through. Like I talk my way to an idea
0: mm-hmm yeah. and and then is it still fun to write it oh yeah yeah see because. it's not fun for and this i think it's one of the reasons i don't outline because i'm a fairly organized logical yes. person mm-hmm. I, i'm not necessarily a linear thinker but i am logical and practical and and organized mm-hmm. um but if i have outlined the story whatever there is whatever story thing there is in my head goes, okay, we're done with that one. Let's go off and buy something new to play with. Um, that could so, be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and then the writing is just drudgery, you know, yeah. oh God, another word. I'm so sick of the word the. You know? yeah, I, know. I, can't, I can't type the word the one more time. <laughs> uh,
2: Sarah and I are big Becca Syme, um, yes fans and, you know, she talks uh-huh. about our st- your strengths and her write better, faster classes and stuff. And so taking that this year really helped me see that some of the stuff I do is just totally normal for me. And some of the stuff that I've been trying to do because everybody else said you should do it. Ah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so when you said that earlier, I was like, Oh yeah, totally. 100%. Yeah.
0: yeah. Why but, do we have to, why do we have to learn it painfully before we know. really accept that, you know, that it, our way is fine, mm-hmm. Our, you know, and that's, as I said, I wrote the, that book, a survival kit for mm-hmm. writers who don't write right. And it, it's part revival meeting <laughs> and, and, then it's, and then it's tips, you know, and, and really, you know, practical stuff. But I, I gave it initially as a workshop. Um, first time was at RWA national and uh, Alicia uh, Rasley was the program chair mm-hmm. and she was the first person brave enough <laughs> to have it because most program chairs are people who or, or have a certain mindset because that's the kind of mindset that lets them succeed mm-hmm. at being you know program chairs mm-hmm. and They looked at what I was talking about. I'm sure, and thought nobody on earth could write a book like that. You know, it just can't happen. So nobody's going to
2: want to listen to
0: that. No, no. But I bet you have people who are very happy to find it. Right? I had people in tears. Yeah, yeah. And then I gave it again at. at, RWA in Australia, the in, in Melbourne in 2015. And again, I had people came up to me afterwards with tears in their eyes. Be- and one woman said that she had, she had decided that that was going to be her last conference because she couldn't write the way that you were supposed to write. Uh-huh. So she, if this was her last shot, and I later got an email from her that she'd completed a manuscript uh, which she had never nice. done before. Awesome. So that is something I would really want to say to, yeah. To writers to trust you know I always want to learn new things I always want to try new things but but also to respect respect your instinct respect your uh, process and give it credit for having gotten you to where you are and then try to improve it a little without throwing out the core that's worked so well for you Right. right, so we will definitely link to that book because I know yes, people will definitely. be looking
1: for it. So, oh, that's just,
0: great. Just been great to talk to you, and oh, you've given me, us so
1: much information. Do
0: you have some? Let me say one thing: it's two ninety nine on the retailers, but if you go to my website and my ebook store, it's ninety nine cents there. Oh, okay. Um, because deal. I wanted it available for for everybody who who needed it, but I'm trying to recoup my expenses. On yeah, the,
1: well, that's great. So yeah,
0: we'll link to that.
1: And then so we just have two more questions. And the first one is what's the best thing you've done to set yourself up for
0: success? I, I truly believe it was fighting my way through to where, um, I I was going to say to where the writing was, was top it, but it always was top. I just struggled more, With the consequences Mm. of that and I'm more accepting now of that I'm gonna write what I want to read and then I look for a readership who is interested in reading that I I am the antithesis of writing to market Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I've got to entertain me first I we live with the book for months you know, mm-hmm. if somebody else reads it in three hours, maybe a little longer than that, but um, I've got to love it. And, and I think that truly has set me up for success. First of all, stubbornness has helped too, but <laughs> in, <laughs> in sticking around long enough for good things to happen. Um,
2: no, not giving up.
0: Yeah. Not giving, and that's one of the things when you talked about um, indie and traditional. In in indie, you don't give up on yourself, but people can give up on you in traditional, and and you stop having opportunities, and you and you stop being able to to try different things and grow. Um, so yeah, I think the um, I definitely think making the right. Uh, And the flip side of that, Sarah, is making the writing number one. And then when you come to the business, being practical. um, I'm a great believer in no debt, you know, cushions on top of cushions, um, (laughs) say, for your retirement. I'm really glad I've had those cushions because in this pandemic, one of the things things i've been able to do is go out to my various team members who are all of course part of the gig economy Mm -hmm. and find those who are hurting a little bit more than the others and i have adjusted my work schedule to give them more work now Mm -hmm. and to to be able to help them continue um I, i feel like it's it's my big um, contribution <laughs> to the, to the um, economy overall to keep some people help keep some people afloat yeah. um, and I can do that because I've been very practical and saved money and um, been really hard-headed about no debt
2: yeah that's awesome that's fantastic so Pat, tell everyone where they can find you and your books
0: it's oddly enough <laughs> www.patriciamaclinn right. is the is the number one place. um my books are wide. I sell them uh, at all the retailers and um I'm out there on social media in fact, if you should probably yell at me to get off social media <laughs> um, it's do you, it's the you know Patricia mclinn. I, one of them, uh, Patricia McLe- Facebook, Patricia McLean. Twitter, Patricia McLean. I think it's um, Instagram has Patricia McLean author. Yeah. Pinterest is Patricia McLean. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that sounds Thanks great. For
2: all, for all your links in the show notes. And
0: oh, bless uh, your hearts.
2: Yeah, we just so this, enjoyed this.
0: It's been so fun. It's been great. Thank you. It's wonderful talking to you guys. So
1: you can find all the show notes and all the links at wishidknownforwriters.com. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little
2: bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.